Well, again, good morning, everyone. If you're new to Fullness, we're so glad you're here and pray that God has already blessed you. And want to remind you that tomorrow night at 5 o'clock, we have our annual Christmas Eve candlelight and communion service. I want to invite you all back. Uh, we have a one-hour guarantee. Uh, it's the only service that we ever guarantee time on, and that's really a loose guarantee. Uh, but really, we try. It, it's an hour-long service, wonderful time of uh, just celebrating the goodness of the Lord. So come back tomorrow evening at 5 o'clock uh, to celebrate Christmas Eve together as a family of faith. And bring your family and friends and neighbors, whoever else uh, you'd like to invite uh, for this time. Uh, take your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 35. I love Christmas. I love the songs of Christmas. Four of the oldest songs that have to do with Christmas can be found in Luke chapter 1 and 2. They're not technically songs in the sense that it never says that the person who says it sang it, but they're all in a poetic hymn-like fashion. And so traditionally the church has called these passages songs. And we have looked over the past three weeks at three of the various songs. The first was the Song of Mary. We actually looked at it second. But the Magnificat, uh, Mary's uh, just praise of God when she's in the home of Elizabeth over what God has done. It's really a song of trust. It's a song filled with Old Testament scripture passages. It is a powerful, powerful song that uh, really I would encourage you to delve into more. The first week, actually, we looked at the song of Zechariah, the Benedictus, uh, which is a song of faith. And remember the terms Magnificat, Benedictus, for those who haven't been here. They are the first words of the Latin translation of the text. So over historic times, they've they've become known by these names. And then last week, we looked at the song of the angels, Gloria, which is the shortest of the songs. Excuse me. Most of the songs, but it's the one that's been set to music, actually, more than any other. And today, we're going to look at the song of Simeon, which is called the Nunc Dimittis. Uh, we are going to look at it briefly uh, this morning. The reason I'm saying we're looking at it briefly is because I actually preached this passage back in October. Now, I'm convinced that I could preach the same sermon once every two or three months and simply change the illustrations, and most people would think it's new to them. Um, (laughs) Because I know that at my house, whenever I go home, I I usually ask my kids, hey, what did you hear in the sermon? What What did God speak to you? And it always, always, always has to do with the story or the illustration. That's what they hang on. And so I'm not going to preach that sermon again. I would encourage you when we uh, look back, I think it was, it, it was definitely in the Apostles' Creed, I think it was like sermon number 10 where I preached on Simeon and on eternal judgment because of the final passage. I'm going to remind us of that, but I want to look at some other truths and I want to tie these songs together just for a moment before we move forward. I know that uh, over the years you've all heard of the term a bucket list. Um, because it's become more and more popular. It especially became popularized because of a 2007 movie uh, starring Jack Nicholson and Morgan Freeman of these two old men who have been diagnosed with cancer and they're in the same hospital room and they 
they, they come up with a bucket list, a, a list of things they want to do before they kick the bucket. Um, and, and so they, they go skydiving, pyramid climbing, ri uh, riding motorcycles on the Great Wall of China, this idea that uh, there are things I want to do before I, before I die. Uh, there, there are a lot of things that different people have in mind of stuff they want to do before they pass away, things they want to th see, things they want to accomplish. I had a couple of things on my bucket list um, that I was able to do athletically. And so someone was asking me the other day, hey, what else do you want to accomplish um, athletically as you're, you're moving forward? And I said, you know, I'm going to be 60 in a couple of days. I just want to keep moving. At this point, I just want to be able to keep running. As far as like accomplishing things, I think those days are, those days are over. I just want to stay active and as healthy as I can. I was looking this week, and there are all types of bucket lists. Um, there are bucket lists like they were encouraging people. One website I saw said, put 101 things on your bucket list. I'm like, I don't have that, you know, 101 things. I don't think I'm going to get that much accomplished uh, in the time we've got left. Um, but in the Bible, here, we see a guy who has one thing on his bucket list. One thing left. Now, it's a big item. Uh, it is a major item, but he has been waiting his entire life for a moment that God has promised him was going to happen. And that was that he was going to be able to see the Messiah before he died. I want to summarize some truths about this man, Simeon, and look at just briefly the outline I gave you a couple weeks ago because it still applies. Uh, to this message of hope, but then I want to look at some lessons that we can all draw from these stories. Let me remind you, just remind you of the setting. This is, it, this is going to take place about 40 days after Jesus' birth, and this is a Jewish ceremonial time. Um, the, a firstborn son was always dedicated back to the Lord, and if possible, they went to the temple 40 days after in order to uh, accomplish this. So uh, circumcision of Jewish males usually took place on day seven or eight, about day eight, and then 33 days after that, they would go to the temple to give back the son, the firstborn, that God had given them. Now this goes all the way back to uh, when they came out of Egypt. And if you remember when they came out of the Egypt, the angel of death passed over the, Israel, the Jewish homes. And, but the firstborn of the Egyptians was taken, uh, was sacrificed. And so um, the idea here is every firstborn son is dedicated to God. And so they would come and they would give a sacrifice. They would either give a lamb or if they were poor, they would give pigeons as a sacrifice to kind of buy back the son or just recognize ceremonially, ceremonially that God owned them. They were God. They belonged to him. And so they're going to the temple for that. And they're also going for uh, the purification of Mary. She has given birth. And as is the custom in uh, Judaism, she needed to be purified 40 days after, declared pure, that everything was good and healthy. So they're going to the temple. And they're on the, they're on the temple ground somewhere. Uh, now, the temple mount is fairly a fairly large area. And... No telling how many people are mulling around there. And it is here at the temple 
they meet two people. Now, to me, it's just so incredible. We, we, we take all of this for granted that, you know, Mary gets an angelic visitation, tells her she's going to be the mother of the Messiah. She goes down to Elizabeth. Elizabeth is pregnant in her old age. She's, got the, she's bearing the forerunner. She gives a prophetic word of Mary. Mary sings a song. They go down to Bethlehem. They give, she gives birth. Some shepherds show up. I mean, uh, you know, just saying God told us, the angels told us that this was the Messiah. Now they go to the temple, and I'm sure Mary's thinking, Mary and Joseph are thinking, okay, this is going to be a normal day. We're just going to go to the temple. We're going to do our thing, dedicate our son. But they get there, and this incredible encounter happens between Simeon and Anna, two different people, both looking. But we're going to look at just the story of Simeon from Luke 2. So they go in the Temple Mount, and here's what Luke 2 says happens. And behold, there is a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So, it came by the, so he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, here's the song, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, alike to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Let's look at some truths from the song. And I, and I want to say, as I look at the truths of these songs, I look back at my sermon outlines over the past three weeks, and it seems like, again, I've got the same points every week. Uh, because these songs have a, have a common theme. It's like country songs. You know, if you really boil it down, every country song is either some guy's girl left him, his dog died, his truck broke down. Something uh, in those three themes uh, of country music. Well, in these songs of the gospel, it's all about the good news. And it's all about, and I'll just give you the, it's about Jesus, God fulfilling his promises in the person of Jesus for our destiny to be fulfilled. If you boil it down, all these songs are, have the same kind of idea about them. So here's some truths from the song that I gave you a couple of months ago, but I just want to remind you of them as you look at this song again. First is that God fulfills his promises in Jesus. All the promises of God are what? Yes and amen. God made a lot of promises about Jesus in the Old Testament. Uh, tons of prophetic passages concerning the coming of the Messiah. And Simeon recognizes this, and he says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. Simeon's got two things working here. He's, going, he's saying, God, 
you promised me that I would see. And you promised your people that the Messiah would come. And now I'm getting to see both. Your promise fulfilled for me and your promise fulfilled for us as a people. God is the ultimate promise keeper. I mean, ultimately, he's the only one who can. I remember days when I would promise my kids, hey, tomorrow we'll go do this. I promise, tomorrow we're going to do this. Now, there's a problem with my promises. Uh, it's not that I want to break my promise. I try to be a man of my word. But there are things that happen that are out of my control. There are, there are things that, can, that happen. I, I mean, sometimes uh, things happen within the context of our church where someone gets sick or someone has a tragedy happen. And what I said to my kids I would do, I can't do because somebody is in need. Or let's say I promised to take them to a ball game, but it rains, so there's no ball game to take them to. Am I at fault for that? I mean, really, am I a promise break? No, it, it, the idea is this. Only God, the sovereign Lord of the universe, the creator, the one who speaks, he is able to fulfill every single promise he makes. Nothing is beyond him. Moving on. Second point I made that uh, weeks ago is that God's salvation is presented to us in Jesus. So his promises are fulfilled in Jesus, and his salvation is presented to us in Jesus. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. <clears throat> Again, this is a remarkable passage that, that foreshadows, so to speak, the truth that Paul calls a mystery that hasn't yet been revealed. So, Paul, when he talks in Ephesians and Romans and other passages, he talks about this incredible mystery that no one saw coming. Nobody saw that this was going to happen. What is the mystery? That God is going to make for himself one people out of both Jews and Gentiles. That God's light, salvation found in Jesus. Because if you look at the idea that the Jews had concerning the Messiah, he was coming to restore the glory of Israel, to put them back on a political path, to help to get them back in a religious frame of mind. But the light that to the Gentiles that they saw was that we're going to be number one and everybody else is going to be number two. That's, that's their mindset for the coming of the Messiah. So Simeon's prophetic word here about the light and coming... He is foreshadowing what Paul is saying, this mystery that's going to be revealed that God is going to make for himself one people. Salvation is for everyone. Everyone, both Jew and Gentile. And they're going to be found in this baby. He's speaking this, singing this prophetic word over, this song over. Here's the third truth from this song, and it's that our path, our path is determined by our rejection or acceptance of Jesus. He goes on, and this is, the, the song is the first part, and then he's got a prophetic coda, so to speak. That's a musical term, like an ending, um, something added on after the song is basically done, the ending. But this prophetic word where he says, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that will be spoken 
against. I always find this fascinating and always have that Jesus is, is really not a sign that is spoken for, but more often is a sign that is spoken against. And I would ask this question, has that changed today? I would say that we don't, do not be shocked when people come against who Jesus is because he ha- is, is now and will be until he returns a sign spoken against. The enemy is not letting up on his pressure to try and keep this word from being revealed. But this is critical. What we do with Jesus How we respond to the truth about Jesus determines our path for the future. Our path, both now and forever, will be determined by what we do with Jesus. Let me say this too. I'm going to come to this at the end, but I'm kind of foreshadowing an end point. Do not think either that your destiny only has to do with what happens to you after you die. In other words, we think, I'm going to receive Jesus because my path, my destiny, I'd rather go to heaven rather than go to hell. Anybody? Rather go to heaven than hell? If not, then I don't know how to appeal to you from beyond that. But um, I'd rather go to heaven than go to hell. But there's so much more. Your path, every single moment of your life, your destiny is determined by what you do with Jesus now. His life in you, the choices that you make. The the way you respond to people, all of that is going to come from what you do with Jesus. Here's where I want to focus for our remaining time, and that's some lessons that we can learn from the song. So there are these universal truths that I believe Simeon is speaking, but now I think there's some lessons from this song and really from all the songs that we can determine. Hey, Liv, would you hand me a Kleenex, please? It's probably more information you want to know, but... Thank you, sweetheart. This is not an illustration. I actually need a Kleenex. All right, where was I? Lessons from the song that each of us need. First is, we need to be in the right place in order to hear from God. Simeon was in the temple at the right time when Joseph and Mary made made it a habit to do what God told them in his word to do. So Simeon was in the right place. They were in the right place to hear from God. Now, I I, I think this is a general truth in the sense that God can speak to you anywhere at any time. But more often than not, I have heard from God when I've placed myself in a position to try and hear from him. I don't know if that's making sense. I mean, there are times when God breaks through in the middle of a unique circumstances, but more often than not, I've placed myself in a position to try and hear from him. And I think that's what spiritual disciplines do for us. In other words, spiritual disciplines like uh, prayer, fasting, reading God's word, going to church, um, being a part of a family of faith, uh, I, you can see those from a legalistic standpoint, like I got to do those because that's going to please God. But I like the way Richard Foster describes it. He, he describes spiritual disciplines like you're, you're walking upon this precipice, this, this tall cliff, and on either side are these monumental fall-offs. 
And on one side is the fall off of legalism, which says, I have to do in order for God to move. And the other side of the precipice is the sign of, is, is, is the chasm of license, which means I can't do anything anyway. God's going to do what God's going to do. In spiritual disciplines prayer, they're, they're not like, they're not legalistic, like I've got to, God's now got to talk to me, nor are they licensed saying, it doesn't matter what I do. You're placing yourself in a position where you can more readily receive from God. You can hear from Him. And Simeon's lesson is this. He was at the place to hear from God. He was at a place where he could hear from Him. And let me encourage you, parents, I want to encourage you to, to when you take your children to church, this is not about, hey, this is, what we, this is just what we do. We just go to church. We have to go to church. We have to go to church because, you know, that's part of, we're Christians, that's what God requires. We've got to go. Listen, please communicate to your children. We go to church because it puts us in a place where we can hear from God. Right? I, I, among the people of God, the Spirit of God, the presence of God, the teaching that God brings. We're here because we want to encourage one another and we all need to hear from Him and we want to more readily hear from Him. Go to an E3 group, a small group. I want to encourage you again, go get in a small group because among those, that small group of people that knows you and prays for you and encourages you, it puts you in a position where you can more readily hear from God. Please, again, don't go to a small group just because you're like, eh, you know, I'm part of fullness. And what we do with fullness is we're part, we got small groups. And Pastor Bart says Christianity is basic nature relational. And so I got to get in a relationship. So I got to go to a small group. I got to be a part. I don't really want to go, but I'm going to go anyway. Well, you know, your heart is just so warm and tender toward the Lord, isn't it? Listen, it's not what we have to do. It's what we get to do because we get to encourage one another. We get to hear from God. And who knows? You may show up at an E3 group, and that's the day God breaks through with some incredible truth in your life that changes your life and the destiny of your family forever. I'm not trying to just like say, hey, it's a lottery. Show up. Roll the dice, and maybe you'll win. Somebody's got to win. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying, I'm saying, listen, part of our Christian life is we get to hear from God. We don't believe that God came to earth, wrote a book, and then went silent. That's not our belief system. Our belief is we believe in a creator God who, who broke forth into the history of mankind through the person of Jesus, sent his Holy Spirit to indwell us so that we can continually hear from him. Praise God. Praise Him that we get to do that. So get in a place to hear from God. The second point kind of follows that. Hey, whatever you do, don't give up. Keep pressing forward. You may say, well, you know, I keep going to small groove in it. Or I keep going to church. Or I keep doing this. I try to do the right things, but God's not breaking through. Listen, the, Simeon was, we don't know how old. You know, some estimates say over 100 I mean, when did he get this word, I'm not going to die until the Messiah comes? Well, we don't know exactly, but let's say he got it when he was 60, and now he's 100. At some point, don't you think Simeon thought, yeah, I don't know. I don't think I'm going to temple today. I, you know, God, I keep doing it and doing it and doing it, and God never comes through. 
I've never seen this stinking baby he keeps talking about. I'm sure he didn't use the word stinking. But I've never seen this baby that he talks about. I've never seen the Messiah. I keep doing what's right and nothing changes every single day. Don't give up. Don't give up. You say, well, what if I die before God comes through? Hey, praise God. You're dead. What does it matter? <laughs> praise him. You're now in heaven. What better, what better is going to happen now? What better bucket list could you have than you get to be in the presence of God for all eternity? So either way, you win. But don't give up. Don't quit. Don't enter that fatalistic attitude that it doesn't, doesn't matter. Keep, keep watching and waiting and holding on to the one who's holding on to you. He's going to come through. Cultivate being filled and led by the Holy Spirit. At least three times in this passage, 25 through 27 of Luke 2, the Holy Spirit is mentioned. The Holy Spirit told Simeon, led by the Holy Spirit, he goes into the temple. By the Holy Spirit, he sees. I mean, the Holy Spirit, he's filled with and led by the Spirit of God. I want to challenge you to listen to the voice of God instead of all the other voices that are vying for your attention. Um, there are tons of voices that are boom, 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 boom coming at you. Stay focused in on the voice of God. My, um, my little grandson has been with us the last three days, three or four days. There's, you know, when, at our house, it is fairly noisy. Um, it's fairly loud. It's always been that way. I'm convinced it's just always going to be that way. My house, if you want peace and quiet, do not come to my house. Unless my kids are all gone to college and then we've got, it's too quiet. Anyway, we got all this stuff going on. I find it fascinating that when his mother's voice in the midst of all this chaos says something, it's like, boom. He knows that voice. He just, he can hear it and you can see it. On, I can say, I can be saying, hey, Leo, Leo, stop doing that. Stop it, stop it. And she just says, Leo, stop. It's like magic, this voice that comes out of nowhere that just, listen, in the midst of chaos, if you, in the quiet times, if you start tuning yourself into the voice of the Spirit, then in the middle of the chaotic, you can hear him. But many times, if you don't practice his presence in your life, then when the chaos happens, you, it's hard to decipher amongst the many. Let me encourage you to be being filled with the Spirit of God. Let the Holy Spirit guide you. And here's, here's an action step. Here's just practically how, one of the ways you can do this. Ask yourself, as you leave this place, just saying to God, through the person of the Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do today? What do you want me to do? Uh, uh, what do you want to teach me? Where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to speak to? Start asking questions. And, and let me say this. Most of us, I'm just as guilty as you. Most of us demand of God. And even in our asking, we're asking for something selfish rather than asking God what he desires to do among us. In other words, we're, we, we never demand of God because we're way too smart. But we're very manipulative. Oh, Lord, would you please? 
do X, Y, Z? Would you do this? Would you do that? If we really want to get in tune with God, it's not God coming into our plan, it's us coming into His. And we come into His plan by asking Him what it is that He wants us to do. God, what can I do today? Who can I talk to? How can I be led by you? Spirit of God, speak to me. Look for him in the ordinary and the unexpected. Cultivate being filled with and led by the Holy Spirit. We're a charismatic church in the sense of we believe the gifts of God's grace are still available today. We believe in the person and work of the Holy Spirit. We believe that God's word and God's spirit, 100% of both, come together for this mighty river. But we need to take our belief and put it into action. And one of the ways we put it into action is by just hearing from the Holy Spirit and letting him lead and guide us. Begin to marvel again. Begin to marvel again. You know, there's a passage about this talking about they marveled at what God was doing. Are you too caught up in the busyness of the season to marvel at what God has done? We do this in Christianity a lot. We, we call it a holy day, a holiday, holy day. But the story of Christmas, we've heard it so many times. You know, we have this tradition at our house of reading the whole Christmas story on Christmas Eve. And even I have heard it so many times, it's like a glaze goes over and they were in the countryside, shepherds, keeping watch over the flock by sheep. And lo, an angel, the glory of the Lord shone around about them. They're sore afraid. Blah, 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 blah. You know, it just kind of, if we're not careful, we lose the marvel that God became a man. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Begin to marvel again. I think that's part of all of these songs. They are just, if you look at the joy of these songs, they're like, this is incredible. I mean, Zachariah, he's like, this is unbelievable. I'm going to be a dad. I'm an 80-year-old dude, and my wife's never had any children, and we're going to be parents, and he, the Messiah's coming, and he's going to, it's incredible. And Mary's like, I've never even been with a man, and I'm going to have a child, and he's going to be the Messiah. And the angel's song of glory to the people, and now Simeon, after his old age, is saying, yes, I'm holding him. Here he is. We lose the marvel, the wonder, the wonder of Christmas. And finally, going back to what that third point, the third part of the first point was, you're not ready to die until you receive the salvation that only Christ can give. Now, some of you may be saying, well, I'm honestly, Pastor Bart, I'm not ready to die anyway. Uh, it's not, but what I'm saying is this, you better be ready to die at any moment of any day. I'm not trying to be a downer here at Christmas. But there are no promises about what tomorrow holds. And really, from a spiritual standpoint, we're not, we're not ready to face God in all of eternity until we have made a decision about what we do with Jesus. It, it, it is really popular in America, I believe, because we can do this, but it's really popular to sit on the fence regarding the person of Jesus. You know, I like Christmas, and I, I believe there's a guy named Jesus who 
was a great teacher and did some good things and some bad people killed him and but I really don't know. Was he the Messiah? Was he God? Was he not? I, I really I don't I don't really have to make a decision. I just like his teachings and I'll just follow those. Listen, it's, it's easy for us to do. We don't have to make a choice in America yet about the person of Jesus. But, you know, either Jesus, as it's been said by C.S. Lewis and others, I mean, why would you sit on the fence with Jesus? He, he claimed to be the Messiah, God in the flesh. I mean, you wouldn't follow a teacher who was either crazy or a liar, Right? So why would you follow this guy if you don't believe the truths about him? So, I mean, the old sayings, he was either a lunatic, a liar, or his Lord, hold true, I think. And so why would you follow someone who's either a lunatic or a liar? He is who he says he is. We don't sit on the fence. We need to make a decision concerning who is Jesus. And if he's Lord, he's Lord of every part of our lives. You can't continue to stay on the fence and say... You know, I'm going to give Jesus this part of my life, but I'm going to hang on to this one for my own. The songs of Christmas, if you look at them in their entirety, these four say this, God fulfills his promise. His promise was for a Messiah to come. His promise was that he would come. And his promise is that he would restore his relationship with all of mankind. What do we do with this truth in the person of Jesus? Too often our eyes, even at this time of year, lower to the circumstances around us. Instead, we have to see Jesus for who he is. If you look back at this week, really, at the news outside, it's really, I mean, really, it is depressing. Tsunami hits, hundreds of people were killed yesterday. Our government is in a shutdown because we can't, we can't get along. We can't determine how to handle money, build walls, tear down walls. You know, we, abuse, sexual abuse is rampant. I mean, if you just look at the circumstances around us, this appears to be hopeless. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow was a poet of the 1800s, and he was, he was really a rare poet. He's the one who wrote the, the Ride of Paul Revere, that famous poem that has to do with Paul Revere. He was a rare poet. He was a graduate, by the way, of Bowdoin College. Some of the Drews are here. Um, Danielle went. Um, Bowdoin College taught there, taught at Harvard. He was a rare poet in that he was very popular in his lifetime. Now, as you know, most poets, poetry is not a, it's not generally a money-making thing. But Longfellow was a rare poet in that he was both popular and well-paid during his lifetime. He was married, had four, five, six children, had a great life. In April of 1861, the Civil War breaks out. And then in July of that year, uh, an unimaginable tragedy happens. His wife 
is cutting locks of their children's hair and putting them in envelopes and then sealing it with wax. It's kind of as a memory, a keepsake for them for the future. And we, most parents have done that with their kids' hair. And either the wax or the candle lit her dress on fire. Longfellow was taking a, a nap and he hears the screams and he goes in and um, puts the fire out on her uh, that had consumed his wife but he is badly burned facially and on his hands. His wife dies the next day, and uh, he is just devastated. If you read the courtship of his and um, Fanny's in Boston, it's really a love story. She kept turning him down, and he kept writing her poetry and keeps trying to woo her, and he would walk like over this bridge in Boston to go meet his wife. It's a future wife who kept turning him down, kept rejecting. For five years, she keeps turning him down. And then one day, she decides, yes, this is the guy I'm going to marry. He runs across the bridge, and the bridge has now been replaced by a bridge that's now called the Longfellow Bridge in Boston, the bridge he would go over to see her. She was the love of his life. He is totally devastated by this encounter. The Civil War is going on at the same time. And his oldest son, Charles, is old enough to join the army. But because of the tragedy, Longfellow can't even go to his wife's funeral. He's so badly burned. And he, at this point, grows this beard that becomes kind of his trademark, uh, this looking beard, to hide the facial scarring that's occurred from the fire that took his wife's life. So in um, and the Civil War is going on at the same time, and his son wants to join the Union Army. They're part, they live in Boston. And he says, absolutely not. I've lost your mom. I'm not going to lose you. But in uh, April, uh, sometime 1863, March or April, his son Charles runs off and joins the Union Army without his permission. As young sons are at times apt to do, especially at these times. In November of that same year, so in 1861, his wife is killed. 63, his son joins the Union Army. In November of that year, uh, Charles is uh, severely wounded. He's shot through uh, his right shoulder, and they don't know if he's going to live or die. I'll tell you the end of the story. He does live, but he is never quite the same as far as his soundness of mind, according to reports from, from his war experience. So Longfellow has to leave Boston, and he goes down to Washington, D.C. And while he's in Washington, D.C., it's around Christmas time, and it's actually Christmas Day. He's going to talk to the surgeons about his son's condition and eventually retrieve him. And on Christmas Day, he hears the bells ringing throughout Washington, D.C., and he, he writes this poem that begins this, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. That's the opening stanza, but verses 2 through 5, which we never sing, if this is going to be set to a song later on, but 2 through 5 get darker and darker. He starts recognizing the darkness of man, and he starts talking about the sounds of cannons and the terrible situation of life and the war that they are engaged in. And 
after building and building this darkness, he comes to the, to, to the fifth stanza of this poem, and he says, and in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. In light of all he's gone through, the death of his wife, the wounding of his son, the, the torn status of our nation, he, he hears these bells and he says, where, where is this peace on earth that the angels talked about in all these songs? And, and in despair, I bowed my head. It's basically saying it, it's a mirage. It's not true. But then in the final verse, he, he lifts his eyes and refocuses them. And in one of the greatest verses of poetry and hymnody, he says this, Then pealed the bells more loud and deep, God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall veil, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. Even in such a valley of death, Longfellow chooses to hold fast. He asked, where is God in this? Where is justice? But then he answers himself and says, he's here. He is working beside us. He is coming. Despair is heavy. Do you not feel it in the earth? Do you not at times feel like saying, where is this peace on earth, goodwill to men that the angels sang about? Listen, if, I, I want to be honest. If you lower your eyes and look at circumstances, you will come away despairing. Some of us don't have to look very far, do we? Some of us don't have to look at the world or the nation. We can focus on our jobs. We can even look at our families. We can even look inside ourselves and come away saying, there is no peace on earth. Until we hear the voice of God say, get up and refocus. Refocus not on the circumstances of your life, but listen to the clarity of the bell that rings the truth of Jesus. He is here. He is among us. His Spirit is, makes us alive in Him. He, God, has come down to earth in flesh, loving us, leading us, guiding us. There is justice. There is hope. So my encouragement to you is this, to be like Simeon. Be like Simeon. Be like Mary. Be like Zechariah and hear the song of hope and sing the song that says, Lord, I live in peace. I can depart in peace. That's really what he's saying. I can leave in peace because according to your word, my eyes have seen your salvation. Have your eyes seen the salvation that comes in Jesus Christ? He's prepared the salvation before the face of all peoples, a light. God said, let there be light, and there was light. He said, let light shine in our hearts, and into the darkness of our hearts light has shone. A light to all people, to the Gentiles, the glory of your people, Israel. This Christmas, this day, I want to encourage you to lift your eyes and to hear the song of God and let it ring in your heart.
Lord, I thank you. I thank you for the truth and person of Simeon who lived out his life and destiny before you and how by God's, your grace, he lived to see the salvation that is in the person and all he saw was a baby. He had no idea what the future was going to hold, but he held the baby. He saw the baby. He speak, spoke this blessing, prophetic word over a baby. Lord, we have seen even more. We've seen your life. We've heard your word. We have experienced the cross and the resurrection and the filling of the Spirit. Lord, may we, like Simeon, say, let your peace rule and reign in our hearts. Let your light shine forth from among us. Lord, when circumstances press down on us, and for many of us, they are pressing. When that happens, I pray that we stand firm in the truth that Jesus rules and reigns, that right will prevail. We lift our eyes to you today, O oh Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen.